Hi, this is Tim Winter. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A digital conversation exploring the leadership experience. You can listen to it at timwinter.com or wherever you get your Exploring the leadership experience and keeping my buddy's memory alive. Super, super excited about today's and my first guest for episode one, the one, the only, Mr. John Alderson, who was a friend and mentor to many of us and had a very, very special relationship with, uh, with Dave. And uh, when I reached out to him and asked him to join us, he was more than enthusiastic about joining. So I'm super excited to uh, to get this started. And everybody, please welcome John. Thank you. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you inviting me to do this. Dave was a special partner, a special friend, um, somebody that played an important part in my life as well. Um, and so I'm, I'm truly honored uh, to be able to do this this morning. Um, after you and I parted ways, um, I had decided that I had had it with pretty much had it with corporate America and and especially with with big business. I had seen kind of the best of it as well as the worst of it and um, wanted to do something uh, much like what you and I just talked about off camera um, that really provided a platform for me that I could express who I was and what was most important to me. And so we, my wife and I opened a, a small business. Uh, we live in North County, San Diego, but a small business up in Murrieta, which is about an hour from here, um, <clears throat> doing birthday parties for children, private birthday parties for children. Um, it's a franchise. And really in, in doing that, I had to dig deep and, and ask myself, you know, what, what's, who am I? What am I all about? What's, what's most important to me? And, Ultimately, it was to be of service to others. Uh, that's the business I've always been in. Uh, I derive a great deal of intrinsic satisfaction out of being of service, um, love kids, love families. And so while we're in the birthday party, team party, um, scout party business, uh, that's the way it would typically be defined. Our business really is in the business of creating memories for families that will last forever. That's what we do. Um, we do private birthday parties in a large indoor facility, uh, trying to make everyone incredibly special. So we've been in business now for uh, 18 years. And I think one of the, the, the key thoughts that we'll probably talk about at some point today is if you want to be, you know, in business forever, uh, then you better be, if you want to be timeless, then you better be about timeless things. And one thing that's timeless is birthday parties, but the thing that's really timeless is that people will never tire of being being treated in a really special way. And and so we've defined our business that way. Um, everything flows from that. Um, and we're actually doing better now, 18 years later, than we've ever done. And so we're, we're pretty proud of that. I've been personally retired for five or six years now, although I'm still involved in the business. When I'm in town, I go up there um, a day, a week, uh, but, but 
when I'm not in town, which is about half the time, um, I can stay in touch via you know electronic means or or phone calls. I've got a great manager, managing partner uh, that came on board 13 years ago. Um, holds the same values that we do as a family, um, and I'm totally at ease with her, not only running the business but but really creating those special moments in time for the kids when they come in. So. Uh, other than that, uh, we're, my wife and I are traveling quite a bit. Uh, we do have a home in Mexico, which you know we've had for th- 30 years or so. So I'm spending about half my time down there and uh, getting ready to drive to Alaska uh, this summer. We've got a, a Sprinter van that we just had converted. We're getting ready to take off and head for the Northwest Territories, Yukon, on into Anchorage, um, and back. So kind of excited about that. It's one of those those bucket list things that always wanted to do and going to have a chance to do it. John Alderson doing the van life. I mean, is that, that is like so appropriate. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it should be funny. Wow. I, I'm, I'm still convincing my wife that it's the right way to go, but I'm 99% sure we're doing it. All right. Well, there's hotels along the way. <laughs> well, we, we've talked about that too. I, I <laughs> my guess is there'll be a hotel in our itinerary about every third night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that is so. That's amazing. And um, you know, it, it's uh, you know, one of my questions for you is, you know, has your philosophy about leadership changed over the years? And and in that opening, you just. Uh, I don't think it has, but I'm going to let you answer the question. Well, um, it's really, um, I'm not sure it's changed much since since you and I talked last, but um, it certainly has evolved um, over time. And one of the, I've been incredibly blessed to have great mentors in my life, um, yeah, including Dave, um, but what I try to be to Dave as well. But as you know, I graduated from USC back in the dark ages and started working for a small restaurant company called the chart house. Uh, we had five restaurants at the time started in Aspen, Colorado, 1961. Uh, but I graduated from school and started working as a busboy dishwasher in Redondo beach when we opened that restaurant in uh, 1969. And, um, much to the chagrin of my parents who had just put me through SC, (laughs) but, um, you know, I liked it. And quite honestly, I, I was a business major because I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Um, it seemed practical to me. But man, working in the restaurants, we, we were a dinner house, so we had most of our days off. Uh, it was really fun. Uh, a lot of great guys. And I was just, I was drawn to it. Didn't really know myself well enough at the time to know why. Uh, but I was really drawn to it. And uh, ultimately, um, after I graduated, became part of the management training program became a store manager, worked my way up through the ranks, and became really intrigued as I as I grew and took on a little bit more responsibility with why certain companies were, were able to produce really high-quality goods and services, while others, most others, uh, were not. Um, and so I, I really became intrigued with, you know, what's the difference? And that led me to... Uh, the Malcolm Baldridge Award, um, which the government had instituted in the mid-80s, or mid-70s, I think, um, at at one point, um, and the government was trying to ascertain the same thing. Why couldn't the United States put out a quality product uh, when we were getting killed internationally uh, with foreign companies producing better quality than we were, and the, the, the entire 
process from soup to nuts in a company and and what was what was driving that uh, early on in chart house uh, Ron Smith uh, was the early on CEO when I came on board Ron was right out of the uh, Navy SEALs um, in fact most of the people when I signed on uh, were SEALs more than half of the management were straight out of Coronado at uh, Navy SEAL training <clears throat> Ron was a, an instructor in the SEALs uh, and so I, I learned an awful lot from from him and then uh, Ron bowed out fairly early on, and John Creed came on board, who was later to become the the chairman. So, and John had a huge, huge influence on my life from a leadership perspective. Um, but anyways, long story short, I was there for 25 years. The last four um, had gone from busboy dishwasher to president of the company. Uh, it's a company that I I remain really proud of uh, from '61 till 1923 or to 2023. We um, they're still in business. Um, it's the longest running, to my knowledge, restaurant of its type at the high end uh, in the United States. Uh, still has 30 or 40 locations out there and still doing quite well. So um, <clears throat> did that. And then as my management career grew, I went back and took a leadership course at USC, my alma mater, uh, from a guy named Warren Bennis, who um, I didn't know at the time. He had just come from MIT. He'd written a bunch of books. I'd heard about the course, and so I took his course in leadership. And it was it continued to evolve, kind of what I I observed, um, but it certainly refined it and put it into um, kind of clearer terms for me. So, and I, I'll be glad to go into that if you'd like. Yeah, I'd love it. <laughs> okay. Um, he, what Warren Brennis is, is now, looking back on it, considered probably the leading authority on leadership in the world. He passed away, um, 2000, I believe it was 2014, um, <clears throat> became, uh, I pestered him in class, uh, got to know him. He became a friend and a mentor uh, and a, a brilliant guy. But what he did was he, he looked at the great leaders in history. Um, you know, the, the, the trans, trans, transformational people um, that everybody would recognize their names. And as you know, I do a lot of, of seminars on that kind of stuff. And when I ask, you know, who are the greatest leaders that, that come to mind, invariably the same names come up. It, it, it'll be Gandhi or it'll be Jesus Christ or it'll be Washington or Lincoln or Vince Lombardi in sports or John Wooden in sports or Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King or JFK. And, and then the next point is that there's, what is the common, what's the common denominator amongst all of them? And, and, and quite honestly, um, I would put Dave in this group. And so as we talk through this, um, you know, Dave definitely comes to mind uh, for the impact that he had on everybody around him and the people that he, he interacted with. But the, the one thing that, uh, that Warren Bennis um, discovered was that the, the common denominator was that every one of them started with a vision. We can call it a vision. You can call it a dream. You can call it a core purpose um, that, that drove them. Um, but it wasn't just that they had a vision or that they had a dream. There were characteristics about that which um, were true in every single case. Uh, in every case, they were very lofty. Um, they were very courageous. Some of the people on the list invariably died uh, supporting their dream. Um, they always spoke to a condition or a state that didn't exist. Um, they were aspirational. They were inspirational. Um, 
they were very philosophical and they spoke to the universal needs of man. So, you know, I got really intrigued with the whole thing and started looking at, at some of these different companies and invariably the ones that were able to really create a great customer experience, whether they be, it be a product or a service, there was a great leader involved. Uh, that was certainly true in Charthouse with a, with a very uh, strong culture, um, very customer focused, very employee focused, um, not just focused on the bottom line. So <clears throat> then if you combine, back to Warren Bennis, if you combine that vision, that dream, that purpose with a, a great communicator that's, that positions everything they do behind what they say that is, so there's a great deal of authenticity and 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 self manages themselves so that they're um, standing behind their dream. Then you can can attract a group of people who will follow because it's who they are. And that's where uh, if you're building an organization or building a team, whether it be a, a religious organization or a, a, a nonprofit or a for profit or you know whatever organization, whatever team you're trying to build, sports team. Um, that's why the selection process is so important because ultimately what you want to do is you want to be able to select people who are consistent with that dream, who can then you, you can provide them with a platform for self-expression um, where they can be the very best and, and are allowed to be the very best of what they already are. Uh, we're all hardwired in a certain way. Um, we all value things differently. We're all at different stations in life. And so, really the magic of some of the great companies is their ability to attract uh, people of like mind who then can provide leadership to support the dream at every level of the organization. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're spot on with, you know, Dave had and was able to communicate the vision. I always thought of Dave, you know, I, I've, Obviously, you and I have had this conversation in the past, and you know I became a student of this, and, and this was foundational for my career. Um, I have I have actually been invited to to and 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 have taught this. Um, I call it the four pillars of leadership, um, but it really is the vision. I always thought with Dave, it was you know his ability to self manage. And how many leaders, how many great leaders are just how many leaders end up failing in that area? You see, you know, whether it's the CEO of Hewlett Packard who gets drunk on an airplane and, and, and ends up getting fired uh, because he can't self-manage or, you know, even when we look at like, you know, political leaders, you know, oh, if you look at if you look at Bill Clinton, get me started there. <laughs> Bill Clinton had a great vision. Yeah. Um, he was able to communicate. He's an unbelievable communicator. Uh, no he doubt. surrounded himself with really good people. Yeah, um, he couldn't keep his pants on. Yeah, he couldn't self-manage to save his life, whether it was getting a, hair, uh, a haircut at LAX or whether yep. it was messing around with interns. And that is why nobody's ever going to build, you know, the, the Bill Clinton school of leadership. Um, right. there, there might be a lot of things that he, and he, I'm not saying he was a terrible president, but if you really just take away the your your politics and just look at the those four segments vision communication self management and positioning are the ability to attract talent um it's it's fascinating to look at leaders and when i think of dave or when i think of you i mean 
when you first sat us around a table and shared your vision of where you wanted to take us, I don't know if you remember the exercise, but I remember it clearly. We were in Northern California and I thought you had lost your mind. <laughs> and you had asked everybody, what is your job at Hollywood? Write it down. And then what are the three things you do every day to make that happen? And people were saying things like, my job at Hollywood is to hire and fire people, is to drive revenue. And you let everybody say your thing. And then you did yours. And your job at Hollywood was to create exceptional experiences for your internal and external guests. And the three things that you did every day, I, I believe, if I, I'm going to really stretch my memory here, but um, reward and recognize people, acknowledge. It, it, it was so lofty, John, compared to where we had been, the path we had been on. Um, and I remember you left the room and all of my regional managers were like, holy moly, what did we just hear? And it was amazing to me how many gravitated to it, including myself, but not only gravitated to it, but were able to have their district region perform at a very high level using that basic model of yeah. viewing their job as creating exceptional experiences. Because if you create exceptional experiences for your stores, I remember when I would travel stores at Hollywood, I'd never carry my cell phone with me. Right. I used to get criticized for it. And I'd say, well, I only have a certain amount of time in these stores because I oversee X amount of stores. And I probably am now only going to get to lot in Oklahoma one time. So if I go in there and I take a phone call, what does that say to the team? And yeah. it's certainly not creating an exceptional experience. Exactly. And it was, it was, you know, it, it's, it's funny to me because I think, you know, obviously right now, Simon Sinek, I asked myself the question the other day, and this is too much, kind of formulating my next question for you, but, you know, and, and I asked myself, do we need another leadership book? Because you're absolutely right. Drucker, Bennis, uh, Covey, uh, they've all covered this, but for whatever reason, <clears throat> Somebody like a Simon Sinek comes up and because he wears, you know, jeans and uh, has a, a, a is a good looking guy and and, and, and and changes the approach a little bit. People think it's revolutionary. And, and I came to the conclusion that especially in today's world, when you hear about companies laying people off via text. Yes, we need another leadership book. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sometimes this message needs to be repackaged so that it's palatable to a new audience. And, and I think that's where it's at. And, you know, maybe Bennis today would not be as accepted as a cynic. Um, but I think the foundation of it, and that's really my next question, is I know Good to Great and Jim Collins were was foundational to you. And I, I think I know your answer, but that really hasn't changed. Even though those companies in the book most of them aren't in business anymore. That's a, that's more of a, a state of business and time and that. But you could apply good to great to a whole host of new companies and it would work. Absolutely. Would, would you agree with that? A absolutely. Um, I, I don't really think, I don't think anything changes. I think we as human beings are wired a certain way um, and we we universally respond to pretty much the same thing. Um, you know, what, one of my favorite quotes is from the, the British 
author and philosopher William James, who said that the strongest craving in human nature is to be wanted and appreciated. And I think that's that's true or very close to true. Um, and that's the business that all of us in the service business find ourselves in is providing that for other people. That's certainly the 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 um, the philosophy that we have embraced in my little business. It's the philosophy that was embraced at Charthouse. Uh, we're responsible for making other people feel really special. Um, and people will never get tired of that. I mean, if you're, if you're going to be in business and you want to be timeless, then you better be about timeless things. Um, people will get tired of menu items. They'll get tired of, of, you know, lots of different things. They'll never get tired of being made to feel special ever. So, you know, one of the things that comes up, a couple things, one on your, on your Bill Clinton example, <laughs> it's a very good one. Um, when I see that and, and you see it often where people espouse a certain thing and then they fall down, what it really tells me is that it's not authentic. Um, and, and if Dave was anything, Dave was really authentic. Um, what you saw was exactly what you got. And, and that would be true of, of all the great leaders over time. It literally is who they are. Um, in, in our little business up there in Marietta, I, you know, that's all, that's all I know. Uh, that's, that's my highest level of thinking. And, and it's who I am. That, that's what I enjoy doing. That's what really gets me excited about going up there once a week when I'm here. Um, that you, you can't throw me off of that platform um, because that's who I am. Oh, I, I can see it today. I can see you walking in there with your Hawaiian shirt and <laughs> that big grin on your face <laughs> and just those employees probably light up. And they're going to be inspired with some uh, wisdom, or you're you're going to you're going to share a story. You're going to make them feel so warm and uh, so appreciated, because you know the list hasn't changed, right? I mean, uh, it, it really yeah, hasn't. People want to feel valued and appreciated. They yep. want to have the tools to do the job. I mean, we can we can do all this, but we're biological creatures, and Maslow's hierarchy of need applies. It just does. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. And in, in, in um, a lot of Warren Bennis's work, he, um, a, as well as Jim Collins, Jim Collins, especially through Good to Great and Built to Last. And I had the chance to work with him um, at, at uh, with a, a small team at Starbucks. So I got to know him pretty well. Um, it never actually that I recall. And it's been years since I've read those books, but I don't recall anything about Maslow's hierarchy of needs in there. But he does speak frequently of level five leaders. And, and I've always equated those two as, as being pretty close to the same. And, and what it says is that, you know, until you're up there somewhere close to that, you're not ready to really take on a, um, a significant leadership role because you've got other priorities. And, and it, it, unfortunately, it's not a matter of, of age and with age gaining wisdom and moving up that ladder. Um, I know some level five leaders that are 23, 24 years old. Um, they happen to be in, in ministry, um, but all of the first four levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs are are forgotten um, in in their basically their self-actualization. So um, it's that, that's Dave yep. uh, and and I'm not a psychologist and I couldn't tell you where he is on that scale of one to five, but I know that he was very comfortable within his skin. 
Um, he was a really good communicator. He cared deeply about the people that he associated with, and, and he was about all the right things. Well, and I can tell you a trans then, and, I, and this is a great segue to, we, we really didn't talk about it, but, um, you know, Dave's celebration of life, and I know you couldn't make it because you're in Mexico, um, but I, I was there, and um, it was very, um, it was magical, it was serendipitous, it was, um, it spoke Dave was clearly there and I think it was so comforting to his family to hear, um, to hear so many people talk about him in the way that they did. Uh, and it trans, you know, it was both professional, it was personal, it was uh, uh, some of his daughter's uh, best friends got up to speak about Dave as a dad and, uh, you know, being the friend's dad. And it was, um, it was really, really magical. And I, and I have to tell you, when I got into Salt Lake, there were just all the steps all the way around. We pull into the hotel, uh, Misty had booked the hotel, we pulled into the hotel, and I looked around and I said, I, I got this odd feeling of this being very familiar. Well, huh. it was the hotel that I, it used to be an Embassy Suites, now it's a Hilton Garden, but it used to be an Embassy Suites and it's where I first met Dave. It's where I interviewed Dave back wow. in the day. Wow. And then we got, we, we were gonna go get, I met Marshall there, I met uh, John Sanders there, and we were gonna go grab uh, something to eat after we, uh, after we got into Salt Lake city. And, um, I asked the, the guys, I said, you know, I, I need to do something. And if you guys would like to do it with me and Marshall goes, yes. <laughs> uh, and I said, but you don't know. He goes, you want to go to where the accident was? And I said, yes, I do. And he goes, I'm all for it. So there was something for me. I personally just needed to go be there. I needed sure. to be in Some that closure. Place. Sure. Yep. I needed to walk on that street. I needed to cross that street. I, I just needed it. And yep. so we looked around and we were trying to figure it out. And we thought he was here and there. And this is where. And there was a restaurant called the Brickyard. In fact, I'm wearing my Brickyard hat as I do this uh, <laughs> as I do this podcast. And we walked in and we decided we were going to do lunch there. And we walk in and we're sitting at a high bar and we're just talking. And I said, I'm going to ask the waitress. And they go, oh, Tim, don't, don't. And I said, I'm going to ask the waitress. I said, hey, were you here the night? And she goes, the night of the accident with Dave? Oh, wow. we loved Dave. And this restaurant had built a memorial. There was a, 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 a memorial to Dave with all these beautiful handwritten notes and pictures. And it was, it was I, I can't even describe it. Like we weren't even going to go there, but then we ended up going there and we went there because we didn't think we thought that's where Dave was going, but that was actually where Dave was coming from. So it was the last place that he was before he stepped out on the street, before he stepped out on the street. Wow. And we all had, they're like, we, we, we had his favorite beer. And we, we got to see people and talk to people who, who knew Dave and people were coming up to us. So after the, um, after the celebration of life, which was beautiful and it was classy and, and Kath and the girl did, did a, just an amazing job. And I'm sure 
it, it was, um, you know, Kath had asked me if I could help kind of just not because it was a celebration of life. It wasn't a formal, it was, but she asked me to MC it as people would come up and want to share and, and kind of get the ball rolling and, and just kind of manage the, 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 the communication and which I was honored to do and happy to do. And I have a skill set for doing it. And he was my best friend. And, and of course I wanted to, but to hear the stories and to hear what, what people said about him was, was exactly what you're saying. And I would, I would argue that Dave was a level five leader. I think he hit on all of the levels. I think that the presence and listening to the people from city brew uh, one in particular got up and talked about Dave and, it, it it was so consistent, right? Yep. It didn't matter whether it was Hollywood, whether it was this, whether it was that. It, it didn't matter. It was it could have been anybody saying that, and it would have been the same consistent um, message and experience that they had working with Dave. And God, I'm I'm sure that's true. I, it goes back to what I said a minute ago about authenticity. Yep. Um, it's it's who he is. Um, he's not trying to be anything other than that. Uh, he's very comfortable within his own skin, um, and he's all about the right things. Got great and, values, um, and it resonates. It resonates and, across all, every, whether it's an assistant manager, a, 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 a this or a senior vice president or CEO. It it, it just the, it's it's authentic. It's real, and 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 people know that they feel that absolutely. It, and that's the um, the tragedy is that we need more people like Dave. Um, there's just not enough to go around. And that's why you have a few really, really good companies and a lot of not so good companies um, that aren't capable of, of providing a great experience, whether it's a product or a, or a service uh, to a customer. And they'll make excuses as, as to why. Ah. And, and they make excuses because what you're suggesting, I used to have CEOs tell me, Oh, Tim, you make this sound so easy. Oh, it's far from easy. <laughs> I I would come off uh, after a day of being in the stores or a day. And if I'm, if I'm really a hundred percent true, I'm absolutely exhausted yep. because every conversation you have to be invested. And I, I love people. So it's easy for me, but you have to be there. And if, if you leave it all on the field and it's not easy, in fact, I would argue the other way is easy. Uh, if you're not authentic, if you don't really care, if you're just chasing dollars, ah, you have time to go out and drink. You have time to, to mess around um, because you're not, I, I just think it's easier. Well, and that's, that's, thank you. That's a great lead into a couple of points that I wanted to make. Um, one, one of, another one of my favorite quotes, and, and I'm paraphrasing here and, and shortening it quite a bit, but it's from Nelson Mandela, who, who said, basically, the greatest fear of man is not that they're powerless, but that they're omnipotent, because with that knowledge comes the responsibility to act upon it. Um, and that's the biggest problem with leadership in companies, is that they, it's way easier to establish that traditional uh, military organizational structure where the leadership team is at the top and they're providing the concept and the manuals and the training, the communication, they're providing everything at the top and sending it straight down. And everything rolls downhill. Uh, and then when things don't go right, 
Uh, and of course, they're holding the people closest to the customer responsible when it doesn't go right, um, then they can blame and they don't take responsibility for it. When in fact, they're the ones that design the concept. They're the ones that have, have done the training. They're the ones that have selected the people on board. They're the ones that have chosen to measure certain things. They're the ones that, that are all about chasing the dollars. And, and we don't have time today to go into that whole list. I've got it right here. But the <laughs> dramatic differences between the great and the rest. Um, and you, you asked about um, Jim Collins. I, I have read a book fairly recently. I don't have it here because I gave it to my grandson um, who wants to be a, a coach uh, here in San Diego. He wants to coach baseball at the, at the college level. I thought it would be helpful for him. But there's a book out there. I'm not you're sure you're familiar with it. It's, it struck really close to my heart because of my early exposure and, and continued friendship with a lot of guys out of the uh, SEAL teams. But most, as I mentioned earlier, most of the, the leadership in the early days of my first company uh, were out of the teams. Uh, there's a book called Extreme Ownership. Ever heard of it? I haven't, but I'm writing okay. it down. Yeah, you'd like this one. It's, it's Extreme Ownership, How the U.S. Navy Seals Lead and Win. It's by a guy named Jocko Willink and oh. Lee Babin. They have a whole leadership institute. They do a lot of public speaking. They're based here. Uh, they're out of Coronado, so they're based here um, in in San Diego. Uh, it speaks to the leader owning everything. And what happens is most leaders don't take ownership of it. What they do is they blame. And, and they blame other people for the lack of success in the company. One of the questions I get frequently, and I, I, I do, I still do some consulting. I, I certainly don't chase it, but um, I'll get asked occasionally if I'll come in and help a company. I helped a little company here in San Diego called Better Buzz, which is a coffee company that's going crazy. We're, I helped them for about a year, gave them 10 hours a week, but I could go any place I wanted. I could travel, um, <clears throat> and we did it electronically. But um, one of the things that we, we talk about a lot is, is who is really responsible. And when you boil it down, there's nothing that that CEO can't do. Nothing. I mean, they, they establish the culture, they establish the, the vision, uh, they select the people, they provide the training. Um, and so it, it was another Tim, actually, he's the CEO and founder of the company, he and his wife, Stephanie. You know, where did they see themselves? To the, at the, when we came on board, they saw themselves at the very top of the organization. And they were telling everybody what to do. And when things didn't go right, they were blaming the people that um, were on the receiving end of it. Um, Hopefully, um, they've learned a lot, and they now recognize that they're actually the furthest from the customer. They're at the bottom of that organization, and their, their responsibility is to support and do everything in their power uh, to help the people on the front lines to create that experience that they, they expect when they come into the stores. Um, so, <clears throat> anyways. Well, you know what I always say? I always say when, when I'm consulting or when I'm working with a new group, I always say, look, you know, you don't have to do it this way, but let me tell you just, you know, practically the, um, and realistically the employee always wins. So, uh, they can either walk out of the store, they can give crappy customer service, they can, and if they're not engaged and they don't feel valued and appreciated, that's a, you, your output is going to be mediocre at best. 
Yeah, it, it is never going to. Ch- you're and you can, you can memo it. You can have edicts. You can have, but there is no way if you have any size of organization. I mean, for your own, you have one store. You how often you're not there twenty four seven. You're never there. One, one time a week when you're in town. Oh, yeah, right. But I guarantee you, this philosophy is alive and well in there because you've empowered the the team to do it. And they feel valued and appreciated by you. And they want to exceed those expectations and take it even farther. I never want to put somebody in a box because I don't know what human potential. I don't know what their human potential. But I know my experience that when I create this environment, sometimes I am so surprised at how people will stand up and deliver beyond yeah. their wildest dreams. Yeah. yeah. With, with the proper um, direction, leadership, training, support, um, you know, you get into, you know, what are you measuring? Uh, most companies just measure the bottom line. They don't measure all of the, the steps in between. Uh, they don't recognize the, the importance of, of taking care of your employees first and the direct relationship between employee and customer satisfaction. Um, <clears throat> they don't understand that the necessity of not only doing evaluations from top down, but from bottom up. Um, they don't understand the necessity of creating an environment based on trust versus fear. I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's complicated. But Tim, uh, the, the owner, founder of, of Better Buzz here in San Diego, and they've got probably 15 locations now, and they, they're, they're killing it. And Tim is a young guy. He's kind of bullheaded. Um, he's, he's building wealth. You know, he's definitely right now a level one leader. Um, <laughs> But he's a good manager and he's driven he's working seven days a week, probably working way harder than than he needs to if if he took a different approach. But he's learning. And one of the things that, that I asked um, some of his employees when I came on board, um, could, because Tim was really concerned about the lack of energy and enthusiasm in the stores. And so I asked him, I said, well, you know, what what do they think they're doing? Same question I asked you guys at the roundtable, you know, 20 some odd years ago. And Tim said, well, you know, I think they're, they're, you know, trying to just perform the tasks. And um, I said, well, listen, Tim, one of the things that's been transformational for me was way back in my days of, of uh, getting to know uh, Warren Bennis a little bit is that passion is directly related to purpose. And the loftier the the purpose, the more passion will be created by like-minded people. So what you're really telling me is that you don't have a lofty purpose within the stores of being of service to other people or creating exceptional experiences. You have a task-oriented culture, um, and that's not very exciting for anybody. Um, And you're just bringing in people to fill slots versus bringing in people who you can provide a platform for self-expression to make that happen. And so we went through all of the steps that make that happen, and hopefully it was was helpful for him. But um, passion and purpose, you can't separate them. Well, uh, this uh, this gentleman, I hope he knows how lucky he has of you're giving him any amount of time, uh, because I, I've seen I've seen you trans uh, transform businesses. I've seen you transform uh, lives. Uh, I, I mean, mine being one of it. I know I know you did. You know, I know you did it with Dave as well. And um, but on a personal note, I mean. I, I literally took everything. In fact, <laughs> you'll laugh. I still have all those notes that Gina put together, that entire packet. 
<laughs> I have for no, I've been carrying around for 25 years. Oh, Scott. that makes it that's special, Tim. And I have, I mean, I, I I have not only the one Gina put together, I have the original ones in all your handwriting. Because remember, we were in San Diego and we worked on that. And then I think we were in Arizona. We were somewhere where we worked on the rest of it, uh, where Gina made it more formal. But I have all the handwritten ones um, when we, and I've literally, it has become, yeah, well, I own it as my own. And I, and I think you tell a wonderful story about the, you know, being able to own a lyrics as your own. Uh, and, and this is why it resonated with me because I can, it's so, I can't, I cannot tell you how, wonderful today has been hearing you say these things i'm 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 kind of going down memory lane and it it's really really special and i think my audience is really going to enjoy it um be, because it's it's so you <laughs> and uh it, it's so beautiful and you, you know i had all these questions and all these people are talking about how work has changed and and I, I don't think it really has. I think I don't that, either. you know, it was funny. I was talking to, to Mark Brands the other day and I said, you know, I asked him what he thought. I said, because in today's world, like, you know, the intern thinks they can send the CEO an email about, you know, something. And when I first started, that was unheard of. And he said, is it, is it that, Tim, or is it just that CEOs are more accessible? Um, with social media, with email, like back in the day, you know, you were very special if you had Mark's phone right. number. Like you were very special if you had that. Right. And, and he just wasn't accessible. Um, where in today's world, you know, CEOs and everybody. So is it is it a, is it an attitude of the the new workforce, or is it accessibility? And that was a conversation that we were having. And I don't know, you know, because I see I go onto LinkedIn and I see these people who you know, write manifestos about getting fired from their company. And uh, it's, uh, I, I'm like, I would have never dreamt of doing that. And so there's a question for you. Do you think the workplace has changed or have you noticed, you have employees, have you noticed a change in the workplace? Yeah. Whether it was driven by the pandemic or whether it's just a new generation, is it generational? Or is it that we've gone so long with a lack of true leadership at a at a at a national level, at, at a uh, at so many levels, and yeah, so many companies. Think... Go, go ahead, ahead, Jim. So, so many companies have been able to to behave badly. Is 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 that? Has it just caught up with us? I, I don't. I find it fascinating. I I think um, I think it's kind of all of the above. Uh, cl clearly. Um, you know, things swing from one side to the other, and ultimately it finds, you know, someplace pretty close to the middle. And I think that'll happen here as well. Uh, but COVID definitely over the last three years has, has changed things with people working at home and stuff. But I think that you'll probably see more of that um, as we move forward with people that are are um, assigned tasks um, and and really aren't part of a team or, or there's, it's not necessary for them to be part of a team. I've got two daughters, one in medical building in, in um, Texas, another here in, in San Diego. Another one in San Diego is an RN and she works out of her house, but she's a triage nurse 
um, who's all hooked up electronically, taking calls from from patients and and pointing them in the right direction. That can be done from anywhere. But she was working out of her house before COVID even hit, before the pandemic hit. And Casey in Texas, uh, she works in medical building billing and all of those tasks can be performed just as well at home. Either she's not really part of a team, electronically connected. So I, I don't know that that's as much of a change, although with um, you know all the, the um, inc- increases in the ability to communicate electronically, uh, that will probably continue. But overall, I, I, and culturally, I think that the kids of today um, are maybe a little more entitled, a little more spoiled, uh, a little less tolerant of, of the workplace. I think part of that is, you know, this is just my, my personal opinion. I think part of that is driven by government, um, especially in uh, some of the states that along the West Coast and East Coast. Uh, I think the, the liberal environment that we try and do business in um, makes them feel a little bit more entitled. Certainly all of the money that was doled out over the over the pandemic um, has made people less willing to come back and actually have to work for their, for their living. Uh, but I think all of that will, will, will change. And, and I think it'll go back towards the middle more. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that things do go in waves and the pendulum uh, goes. And I think we're, we're, and I, and I do believe that there is a voice. I mean, just the popularity of Simon Sinek. I mean, people are resonating with that. And essentially, if you really boil his message down, it really is Bennis. I mean, it really goes back to, to, to the foundational things. Yeah. Um, and it's about being genuine kindness, um, you know, not using the hierarchy, uh, the inverted org chart. It's all of those things. It's, yeah. it, it's just wrapped differently. So let I, me ask I, you this. Okay. Who is a leader today that you admire? Huh. Well, <laughs> I don't pay, I'm not that involved in, in the, you know, I read the business publications yep. and stuff like that, but not that involved in the, in the business community as I used to be um, sitting on the beach in Mexico. It's, kind of have other things on my mind, <laughs> but, uh, it probably, bragging. it probably, it probably be easier for, um, Oh, I can give you a, a personal example. It's not somebody that you're going to know. Nope. That's okay. But we just got the, uh, as I mentioned, we just got a sprinter van and it's been two years in the making because of backups and in parts and you know, the whole, that whole thing. Um, and so it took us a year to actually get the van and then we took it to the van conversion place and everybody I asked where, where should we take this? And, and I want it, I want it a certain way. And, um, we're going to be, you know, driving to Anchorage in it this summer. And, uh, everybody said the same thing. They said, you, you got to go to American van works. It's up, you know, I'm in San Diego. It's up in orange County. It's about an hour and a half drive, but they said they're, they're the best. And so I went up there and met with a guy named Mark Gibbs, who is the owner and, and managing partner of American Camper Shells and Van Works up in Stanton. And um, I just couldn't have been more impressed with his, his energy, his enthusiasm, his just his level of stoke. Um, but we couldn't get in for six months because they were so backed up. They were so busy. So I said, okay, um, everybody says this is what we want to do. We'll just wait. And so long story short, uh, we got it back here a month or so ago and 
I drove it up to Murrieta to the business, literally first or second day I had it back and something went wrong. Um, all of a sudden it acted like it was just out of gas, pulled over the side of the road. It wouldn't start again. Um, and so I had it towed into a local shop there and I called Mark. I said, Mark, something's wrong. And the guy here at the local shop is telling me that I had a 50 gallon tank installed uh, so that we'd have a uh, better range. He's telling me that there's a fitting that's not connected right. And there's, there's diesel fuel um, leaking all over the ground. And after spending the amount of money that I spent on it, not real happy about it. And um, I was nice about it because I'd already garnered such a respect for, for Mark. And he said, okay. And oh, by the way, we were leaving for Baja the next day. And so the timing couldn't have been worse. Um, here I am an hour from home, call my wife. <clears throat> she comes up, picks me up. And Mark says, don't worry about it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to come in there. I'm going to have somebody take me up there. It's about an hour and a half from him in a, in a little bit of a, in, in an easterly direction. Come up and get the van. We're going to bring it back here to, uh, to Stanton. Uh, we're going to fix it for you. Uh, there's one other little thing that they hadn't been able to do because they were waiting for a part. We're going to take care of that as well. That was supposed to cost four or five hundred bucks uh, to do. And then we're going to deliver it to your house. And when you get back from Mexico, it'll be sitting there in your driveway. I said, wow, I mean, that really eliminates a lot of problems for me. I wasn't sure. Was I going to have to cancel my trip? How am I going to get it from there to you? Uh, it's probably a hundred mile tow. Um, but his, his genuine attitude of care and concern and, and love is not too strong a word um, for making it right. Um, he created a customer for life. So, so we get back and, and sure enough, the, the van is the keys hidden in the, uh, on the tire and uh, the van sitting in my driveway and I get in it and on the steering wheel, um, there's a, a thank you note. And inside of that thank you note uh, is a gift certificate to Seaside Market, which is in Cardiff uh, for a hundred dollars um, and an apology for any inconvenience that he caused us. I know why Mark is backed up six months to a year uh, to do conversions. Uh, they've got an incredible reputation. Um, he's all about the right things and they genuinely care. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. That was Dave. Yep. That, that's an, you know, what's interesting about that story too is, you know, it's not like you're going to buy five more vans in your life. Oh, right. That, that's like, like that. And, right. <laughs> yet to have that care and then you see something where you know you are a repeat customer um and and they don't get that level of and 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 it doesn't take that much right like it just kindness does not take that much just getting your order right doesn't take but you've got to have an engaged workforce who's doing more or at least they the vision of the company is more they're creating an experience right i used to right. tell my store managers all the time like you get this amazing opportunity to create wow you are empowered to create wow within these four walls yep yeah that's and, an and, awesome in, in response to your um to your question tim i without naming leaders that i admire today um, there are certainly companies uh, yes. that, that make great examples that I know, even though I don't even know the leaders' names, I know that they have incredible leadership in those organizations. Um, I look at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company and 
back in the 80s when the um, Baldridge Award came out, they were the first service company to win a Malcolm Baldridge Award. And I took it. I, I've always I've had a lifelong passion for learning. And I flew to Atlanta. Um, I was with Charthouse at the time, but I wanted to know everything about what they did, how they did it. The CEO at the time was a guy named Horace Schulze. Um, they've, they've, you know, they've maintained it over a long period of time. Um, and the experience at the Ritz, you know, people ask me, you know, they talk about empowered employees. Um, you know, how do you know if an, an employee is empowered? Uh, well, what some people don't know about the Ritz Carlton is that the, the latest housekeeper that's just finished their training and is on the floor first day on the job. If, if they, if they find or, or are exposed to a problem with a customer, they're empowered to spend money, uh, to fix that. No, no, no questions asked. They don't have to ask their boss. They don't have to do anything. They can solve the problem right there on the spot. And I'll ask groups that are thinking to how much, how much you think they're empowered to spend. And invariably, you'll get answers like $50 or $100 or, wow, well, if he's asking the question, it must be really a lot. It's, you know, $500. It's actually $2,000. Um, no questions asked to, to resolve the issue. Um, and, and they take advantage of it. They're not going to be in trouble. Um, they're trusted. Um, but what the rich has, has discovered uh, through simple research is that the, the value of a lifelong customer to the Ritz-Cartland is $250,000. So suddenly $2,000 from a, a housekeeper doesn't seem like so much. So that's one company I've always admired. Um, the Disney company, uh, you look at their vision statement to, to entertain the world. Um, my guess is that's probably a pretty good place to work for uh, creative types or movie types. Um, a couple of, of companies that everybody's real familiar with, Chick-fil-A. Um, you know, you look at, at what they're doing. Um, in and out's another one, same thing where I, I happen to know the, the vision, mission and, and values of Chick-fil-A, uh, cause I've studied them a little bit. Um, but their, their purpose, and it's about as lofty as it gets is to glorify God in everything that they do. And that's what they do. Um, so even though it looks like people behind the counter in either In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A are, are performing basically the same tasks as they would be at a McDonald's or a Burger King or a Taco Bell or wherever, whatever fast food place you're talking about, um, in their minds, they're doing something completely different. Um, are they serious about it? Well, Chick-fil-A's closed on Sundays. They're leaving a lot of revenue on the table to be um, consistent with their values. Uh, is it for everybody? No, probably not. But it's for the right people, um, and people find a great deal of intrinsic value and, and a sense of purpose for themselves at all levels of the organization because of that. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, it goes back to the old story. Are you crushing rock or are you building a cathedral? Absolutely. And, 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 and to your Rich Carlton, they also believe in their training, right? And they, they, they've spent the appropriate amount of time that they know before they put somebody on the floor that they've been trained. They understand the mission. They understand the expectations. They are empowered to do their job and they have the tools to do their job. So it, I, 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 I doubt they fall short very often, but when they right. do, they're ready to back it up. 
Absolutely. And I've been blessed to be able to spend some time in Ritz-Carlton's around the world. And, and they're very, very good at what they do. It's very understated. Um, you know, I look at their, their core purpose and there's a little, they've got a little card, their credo, which I've carried with me for going on 40 years now. And it's, it's pretty straightforward. It says the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company is a place where the genuine care and comfort of our guests is our highest mission. The Ritz-Carlton experience enlivens the senses, instills well-being, and fulfills even the unexpressed wishes and needs of our guests. And this little card, it's a folding card that then's got their basics in it, the three steps of service. I've carried it with me now for close to 40 years. Um, every employee gets one and carry they, it. It's on them at all times. As a reminder, this is who we are. This is what we're about. Um, <clears throat> we are the Ritz-Carlton. You know, I put that to the test. I was at the Ritz-Carlton in Aspen. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in the bar and I asked and the bartender gave me his. So because of you, John, I I, <laughs> I knew to ask that question, but I too carry one with me and I not 40 years, but I do carry one with me and I use it often. And, uh, you know, because you came into my life, I knew that story and pretty I, strong. I, I was able to to experience it and and have one of those wow moments. Yeah, so, it's pretty special. It is very special. Well, well, let me ask you this, John. This is this is the What Would Dave Do podcast. I know you two were very, cl- very close. I know you were instrumental in his life. I can't tell you, you know, after Dave passed, I, I started going through text messages. And uh, I lost count, but I'm, I have over 3,000 text messages that Dave and I shared. Uh, I would wow. wake, I wake up every Sunday morning to a picture of his breakfast. Um, sometimes they were very short, just, hey, bud, how are you? But as I, um, as part of the healing, as I, I it was very cathartic to, to just read them and to go through them and giggle and laugh and, 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 and challenge myself to be better because there were sometimes I didn't respond. There were sometimes he didn't respond. But one thing that really, really was surprising, and that's why I was so happy that you accepted the invitation to be the, the first guest, is I cannot tell you how many times J.A. <laughs> is referenced in those 3,000 text messages. Well, so thank you. It is, uh, it, it is um, you know, because that was our thing, right? Like, that was our thing. And uh, I just can't tell you, as I was reading through them and, I'm in the process of digitalizing them all so I don't lose them, you know, with a phone getting lost or back, just making sure I, I never lose them. I never deleted a text message from Dave over all of these years. And uh, I really want to make sure that I save them, but maybe one day there'll be a book about them or something, but I, um, uh, because they're humorous, they're, they're loving, they're, they're everything we just talked about. They're genuine. They're, it, it really speaks to a, to a very, very, very special human being. But yeah. With that said, and in closing, I'm going to let you go, but I would like you, uh, what's your favorite Dave memory or story that you want to share with the audience? And we'll end on that. Well, yeah. And in, in reference to what you just said, it's, it's interesting. You said that, um, I, I have some texts from Dave as well, and I don't think I've got any voicemail messages, but I do have some texts and I, I will cherish those forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just no way I'm going to lose those. So, favorite Dave story, favorite memory, probably 
There's there's a lot of them, but the one that is most striking to me, and and you'll be familiar with this, <laughs> was was our first meeting, mm-hmm. and you know I'm coming on board in the company and not real sure you know what the culture is like, and I I, I know what I've been told um, from Mark, um, but that's not always what really is, and. Sometimes CEOs, you know, hear what I think we should be about, and that all sounds great. But when they actually see it in action, um, they they may not agree with that. But so I'm I'm you know a little not nervous, but apprehensive is probably a better word um, about um, what I was about to do, what I was about to say. And if my memory is, we'd spent four or five hours in a meeting, um, really with me speaking and and uh, you and Dave and the group listening um, and and kind of taking it all in. And I went through, you know, kind of my history and what I thought leadership was and organizational structure and the differences between a good company and a, and a not so good company, the difference between good and great. Went through the whole, you know, the whole thing and ended and we probably went to dinner someplace. I don't really recall. <clears throat> but Dave came up to me right afterwards and he said, he says, I hope you know. He said, that changed my life. <laughs> and uh, I've held that with me now for whatever it's been, 22, 23 years, um, as one of the most special, genuine, um, sincere, honest things that everybody's, anybody's ever said to me. Um, and I cherish it. I don't know what else to say. I just cherish it. Yeah. Well, uh, and you know, and and here's the thing. You know, he meant it. Absolutely. A- every every bit of it. And I know from my own experience and my own conversations um, that uh, that there was no truer statement. Like you really did change Dave's life. Well, you, thank you, Tim. You, I appreciate it. You changed the trajectory of his leadership, the way he viewed you really did. And and John, I mean, you know, you're my first guest, but I am also just telling you this as a friend, you changed a lot of people's lives. And I go through LinkedIn sometimes and I see people who you touched and where their careers have gone and the things that they're doing and the, the impact that you have made on this world is uh, is is quite amazing. And having you on the show today and listening to you and just, again, I can't tell you how much it warms my heart, how much I've enjoyed this. I could keep going on and on and on. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I, I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, I hope that we can stay in touch and, uh, I look forward to hearing about the, uh, the, the van life. I hope, <laughs> I hope you're starting an Instagram page on that. <laughs> I'll, I'll look into it. Jim, thank you so much for the invite. It, it really, I know I, I said it when you asked me, and I, it really is my honor. Um, please stay in touch. Uh, don't be a stranger. All right. Thank you, John. Okay, Tim. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.